today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Available, uh, a Markham-based forecasting and modeling technology company has announced a partnership with the University of Toronto's Institute for Pandemics to advise on and support deployment uh, deployment of world-leading pandemic response tools, technology, research, and training. The collaboration with Dr. David Fisman and the entire IFP team will initially focus on supporting pandemic forecasts at the federal and provincial levels. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Dr. David Fisman, epidemiologist with the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, for being interested in this. Before we get to your project here you're working on, just your thoughts on where we are in the announcement yesterday of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination being approved by Health Canada. Yeah, we're, so, so we're, we're, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, vaccination, I was talking to a colleague today about the fact that, you know, we, we, we both think by, by this time next year, we're going to have a lot of vaccine around. We're just starting to see the initial trickle. But that's going to swell to uh, to more or less a tsunami in the um, in the months ahead, and that's great uh, because we need to get back to sort of normal life and get everyone vaccinated. The difficulty with that, of course, is that we're into the second wave of a bad pandemic now, and vaccination isn't going to fix the infections that have already occurred, which are are filling up our ICUs. And even if the uh, this pandemic wave starts to wane, we can anticipate a lot more people getting sick between now and springtime. We we, we already in the GTA, Hamilton, um, uh, now into Waterloo and Guelph a bit, we already have care systems that are under strain um, and a lot of beds filling up. We're, we're going up by about, uh, I think they'll talk more about this at the press conference later today, but we're probably going up by somewhere around 20 beds occupied every three to four days. And, um, you, you know, we do have a fair number of ICU beds still in the, in the province. The difficulty is you actually need trained personnel to staff them. And I think the ICU nurses and docs are getting pretty exhausted and are very stretched. So um, so we do, do definitely have a, a bumpy road ahead of us. But, you know, hopefully, uh, sorry, this is a dad joke, but hopefully the vaccine's a bit of a shot in the arm in terms of giving people, you know, uh, the strength to sort of keep moving forward and hang on because this is going to end and it's probably going to end sooner than we might have hoped a few few months back. As you mentioned, vaccination won't help those that are already infected and already suffering from this. That being said, you know, we're hearing reports that uh, the UK, for example, could have their uh, anybody who wants a vaccination vaccinated uh, by spring, by the end of April. Let's assume that is the case if everyone who wants to be is vaccinated, how long after that before we really see the impact of this vaccination? Well, I, my, my belief is that based on what I understand about communicable diseases and what I understand about where this pandemic's going anyway, which is in the Northern Hemisphere, we're already, we already see Northern Hemisphere. Canada's a small country, right? Uh, there are billions of people who live in the Northern Hemisphere. What we see in the Northern Hemisphere is that the second wave actually looks like it's at peak now, which probably means over the next couple of weeks, it's going to start to decline. So with vaccine, without vaccine, as, as, as um, the records show from 1918 with that bad flu pandemic, 
Um, this is around the time when that second wave tends to peak. So what we would likely see with or without vaccine is in February, March, this thing starting to subside, whatever we do. What's going to happen with vaccine is um, my, my hope is that if vaccine prevents infection and prevents it in a durable way, what you're going to see is that's going to um, eliminate, eliminate the possibility of future waves. So in 1918, they had four waves total. Right. The, the second wave killed the most people, but right. there was a third wave and a fourth wave. And I think getting the population vaccinated is going to, you know, it's one of these paradox of prevention things. We're not going to see the thing that would have happened without vaccinating. People say, oh, we vaccinated all these people and nothing happened. Well, that's because that's we why. vaccinated all these people, right? So <laughs> exactly. It's a challenge of public health. Yeah. So tell us about this uh, this new uh, partnership that you're working on and, and what we can learn from this pandemic. So, so, so we are still starting to, you know, get to know each other with Scarson and um, Institute for Pandemics, and this is all very new. So it, it's a bit of a story. If you have time, it's kind of a fun story. Yep. Um, it, so, so Institute of Pandemics, um, Institute for Pandemics, I can't even say it right, at University of Toronto, we got a very generous gift from something called the Bora Miller Foundation a couple of months back where um, these these donors sort of said, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a crazy problem. And we actually need some sort of academic hub to study pandemics as a thing. And uh, they, they, they endowed this center at University of Toronto. My boss, Stanley Brown, who's going to be talking at the press conference this afternoon, is the director of this center. And we have a few different streams. I'm, I'm involved with the, with the pandemic preparedness uh, stream, the three different streams. Um, so, so we have the center and we're, we're sort of in the process of trying to put together a data hub so people will be able to come to our website and, you know, get good data about COVID, you know, in the GTA, Ontario and Canada and globally, because we have a lot of resources in different places. About three weeks ago, there's actually a, an interesting media connection here. My colleague Ashley Chute was reached out to by CBC. And CBC said, you know, we're doing a story on this company in Markham, which we had never heard of, called Scarson. Can you look at their model and tell us if it's, you know, if it's any good? So I actually looked at this model. And it's like, holy smokes, these guys have been working for like six or seven months. And they've created this phenomenal, basically, simulation of COVID in Canada, which is cool because what it is, is it's, it's, it's bottom up. So there's 93, I believe, health regions in Canada, and they're simulating all 93 of them. And then what they do as a Canada forecast or a provincial forecast is they're sort of aggregating up. So you can sort of zoom in and zoom out on this thing. And it's pretty good. Like, it's the way we would have made a model. There's some things that we did a bit differently. There's some things they did a bit differently. Um, what, what's exciting for us is, is they, they were very welcoming. They've been... Um, sort of shopping this thing around, you know, they're for profit company that they're, they're not a they're not a charity. But they, they had been showing this to people in Ontario and across Canada and really not getting a lot of traction, sort of getting a lot to be frank, a lot of doors closed in their faces, which for us was like, holy smokes, like we've been working on modeling this thing from the get go. And this is this is this is like the tool that people need when they call Ashley and I and say, oh, we just have one thing we wanted to ask you. What happens if we close schools a week earlier mm. or we keep them closed a week longer? We don't have the bandwidth that, as two people to respond to every little request that comes from people in public health departments. 
these guys have this platform where you can actually, A, you can teach people who have no background in modeling to use it because it's Microsoft Excel based. And B, it's really good. And you can make these sort of small changes and use that to, you know, justify the policy decisions you're making at the health unit level. And you can also compare easily across Canada. So we can, for example, put together graphics for decision makers that show them, well, this is what Peel region looks like, not relative to other places in the GTA, but relative to Fraser Valley and relative to Edmonton and relative to, I think, Lenaudiere and Quebec is another Canadian hotspot. So we can very easily sort of reshuffle the deck and look at, at where we prioritize things in Canada. And back to vaccines, they've done a lot of work building in a vaccine module. So as I say, we're just <laughs> getting up to speed. And I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth in terms of our ideas and their ideas. But it's kind of an exciting partnership. And um, as I say, it's sort of cool that they are right here in the neighborhood. We had never known each other. And but for the CBC story on that company, I don't think we ever would have known about each other. There's a little bit of a an interesting cultural divide that we have to have to bridge where I think the fact that they are a for-profit company, you know, when we've been talking to the modeling table and so forth, the modeling tables for academic modelers at universities. So we're getting a little bit of side eye there and we're having to say, you know, it's actually good science and, you know, we can work together with all kinds of different sectors. And, it, you know, we have this ability here in Ontario and it's going to be a good thing for everyone by the time we're done. Uh, so that, that's sort of the, the, the long version of the story. But, but yeah, they've, they've been great. And uh, 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 we're looking forward to get rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty with this thing. The, the one thing we've seen to learn from this pandemic is it's taught us to break down these silos. That's how oh, yeah. we've obviously seen a vaccine come as quickly as it has and, and all of these agencies working together. Uh, that being said, some criticism in how we got here and the fact that we don't make this anymore and there was a lot of politics being played about private companies doing this, yet here you're saying obviously these sorts of partnerships are quite valuable. It's not something the government should be doing on its own. It should be also uh, seeing what's out there in, in the private hands. Is, is that accurate? I, I you know, I, I don't think, to be honest, my belief on this is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a snob. I like competence. And once you're competent and once you're decent, um, I kind of don't care what label you wear or what hmm. sign hangs around your neck, right? And um, so, yeah, I have some issues with some of the stuff the provincial government has done in terms of some of the outreach to um, some of the big accounting companies, for example, big consulting companies, rather, to outsource modeling there. There's no reason to do that. We have lots of expertise in Ontario. And, you know, I don't I don't think that that exercise served them well. Meanwhile, we've got this sort of homegrown tech that's right here in our backyard and, you, you know, you get the story that people, you know, just couldn't break through, couldn't get through the various firewalls and so forth and, uh, you know, had lots of doors closed in their faces. So, you know, part of that is just, you know, that's how the world is. But part of it is also, I think what's so valuable is, is when, we, when we make connections like this, we really can leverage some good stuff that's out there. I think we can bring stuff to the table that a private company doesn't have, and they can bring stuff to the table, particularly in terms of resources and just the just the person power. They've got, you know, they're they're a big company, and they are absolute masters at using data from multiple sources, which we wouldn't have access to. We we wouldn't be able to crunch these numbers. We're not we're not computer scientists. We're not data scientists, and they have those on staff. 
So it really should be a, a really productive and mutually beneficial uh, partnership. And yeah, I mean, it's a bit funny the way we sort of stumbled into it, but I'm glad it happened. What are you expecting from uh, modeling coming out late or projections coming out later today? Um, you know, I I actually um, I, <laughs> that's awkward because I actually had had seen the slides and and uh, and agreed not to speak about that. So I, okay. I think I just have to zip it. Yeah, I understand. And and, and, and no, 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 not at all. I I have to ask, obviously, but I, I totally respect that and do appreciate all the information that you have given us. Uh, Doctor David Fisman has been with us, epidemiologist with the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Uh, David, thank you so much for the time. Good luck with this project. Thank you so much. Maybe maybe in a few weeks' time we could touch base again and see if if this uh, got off the ground or if it <laughs> had a crash landing somewhere into a tree. I'd, I'd love to uh, talk about follow-up. That's a great idea. We will do so. Thank you, David. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.